So I've kind of touched on this before, talked about it, you know, a couple different times. And right now, to me, it seems like our political issues are left just solely left or right. You kind of have, well, first off, you have this horseshoe effect where the far right and the far left are almost so close and touching, but not in their views. Like you have the anti-vaxxer hippie who voted for Bernie in 2016, who somehow became a QAnon nut because the overlap on Reddit eventually got him down this rabbit hole. Or you have the Bill Crystal, who, you know, a lifelong neocon who now hates Trump and ends up kind of agreeing with the Biden Democrats and tells everyone to vote for Biden, vote for Biden, right? And so we kind of have this neo-reactionary group, the anti-vaxxers kind of fall into this, the election deniers, the QAnon people, the Trumpists, kind of just the reactionaries to the system, right? Kind of influenced by Curtis Yarvin and some other thinkers like Peter Thiel, right? Then you have the progressives who are not really happy with the establishment, right? These are kind of the AOC types, the democratic socialists, etc. And then you have the establishment types who are kind of like the Mitt Romneys and the Joe Bidens and the Hillary Clintons, all these kind of people. And so you kind of have the reactionaries and the progressives who are responding to the establishment. And the, the midterms that are still wrapping up that happened yesterday, still some results are going to take some time to know about. It seems like the establishment did pretty well, and the, the Republican reactionaries did not do too well. And that's a problem for Trump and the MAGA movement, because they didn't do as well as people were thinking. So today I want to talk about that, and um, yeah, I, I hope your Wednesday is going well. I, <laughs> I spent last night alternating from watching the election results and watching the new season of White Lotus, just a hint, if you want to feel better about yourself, the new season of White Lotus is much better than the election results, even though, as I kind of mentioned, they, the, actually the election didn't go as poorly as I was thinking. So I just want to go in today by starting with some of the key takeaways from the midterms, go over some further thoughts on what is next, so on, you know, just kind of a midterm focused episode. Then actually at the end, I do want to give an update on what's happening in Ukraine because there's kind of a mixed bag as this whole thing has been going, but there's actually some... I guess there's some room for, let's just say, medium optimism. So I will start by saying, though, that last night I started to think that I was going to be completely wrong on almost every prediction I made. I was going through the Senate, House, and governor races, and it was looking like every prediction I made on Monday was wrong. By the end of the night, it was looking more like I was fairly correct, I guess I would say, on many of these elections. Not all of them. There's a few that have surprised me, actually in a good way. <laughs> it's, it's rare that in, a, that in American politics I'm actually surprised in a good way, so I will take it. So it does look like this was more of a red ripple than a red wave, a red ripple at best, because... To me, it also kind of looks like voters may not want the crazy candidates as much as we thought they did. And maybe they also don't like crazy candidates and crazy batshit people. And maybe there's a glimmer of hope for all of us because of that. Now, I don't think this race was great for Republicans, mainly because historically they should have done much better considering Biden's low popularity all the economic issues, and just the ability to kind of scare voters on culture issues. So I was somewhat surprised. Now I'll get into later why some places did do well, especially like Ron DeSantis. And in general, there are some races I'm not thrilled about, some that are still coming in that I'm not thrilled about. But in general, Democrats did better than expected. And it tells me a couple things. 
Women do like to have access to abortion. They don't like local politicians, as Dr. Oz said, controlling them. People do like to be able to vote and they want to trust our institutions. Maybe they don't like people like Doug Mastriano, who said they'd like to control elections. Maybe they don't like people like Michaels, who was in Wisconsin running for governor, who said Democrats will never win again. Maybe people just don't like crazy. So one disclaimer before I get into everything is that results may be constantly changing, right? Because there's some races that are still happening. So don't hate me if some of the numbers are off right now. But right now, Republicans have 204 seats in the House, according to what I'm seeing here on the TV. And Democrats have 187. 218 is needed for the majority in the House. And while the Democrats have clearly taken back the House, unless there's just, you know, the, <laughs> the, or the, sorry, the Democrats just crazily start outperforming Dem uh, the Republicans, it looks like Republicans will take the House, which is what practically everyone predicted. It's not a shellacking, though. 187 to 204 is pretty damn surprising. That is not a shellacking. And if I was a Republican strategist, I'd be going, damn, the red wave, maybe climate change ruined the red wave into a red, red ripple. I don't know. But also the Senate is down to a razor's edge, which is what we were expecting. At this time, Democrats have 48 seats. They gained one. And Republicans have 49 seats. Of course, we're waiting on a few elections, which I'll get into. So... This is kind of good news for Democrats. We've also had some historic results, which I'll get to in a minute. And it, it was just kind of interesting to see because, you know, for the last week, it seemed like, oh, Jesus, the Republicans or, or the Democrats, sorry, are screwed. And it just does not seem to be the case as of now. So that's always good. On a side note, it's not even really worth talking too much about this, but it looks like Lauren Boebert is going to lose to Adam Frisch. 92% of the vote is in in her Colorado district. And I think that is something for us all to celebrate. Maybe I'll even crack open a high noon seltzer in a little bit just to celebrate that because, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene won her reelection. She's a superstar. But Lauren Boebert, I'm glad at least one of them is gone. Like, Lauren Boebert was also pretty despicable. And, yeah, that's good to see. A MAGA candidate never should have been in there. She's gone. She's nuts. Adios. And now the reason why I say that the more establishment Republicans seem to actually do better than the MAGA grifters or the reactionaries is because, for example, Kennedy in Louisiana maintained his spot. The 89-year-old Chuck Grassley maintained his in Iowa. These are the candidates that, look, they've definitely been part of the problem of kind of allowing Trumpism to keep going, and they've definitely not spoken out enough against Trump. But they're not the ones that you see on TV and just go, that's a Trumpist. And so guys like them maintained their abilities, right? And now Ron Johnson's disappointing, which I'll get to in a little bit. But he's an outlier, I think, because of a poor Democratic candidate. But before talking about the races, it should be noted that there were several historic points to this. Some were good. Others are notable. Uh, first in Massachusetts, there is a Democratic state attorney general named Mara Healy. And she is likely, unless all of the projections are completely wrong, to be the state's first elected female governor and the nation's first out lesbian state executive. Look, I think that's pretty cool. I don't really care about all the identity stuff. If you do a good job, you do a good job. But for representation purposes, I'm sure this makes people happy. It's a good thing, historic. And, you know, with all the negative news and all the loons that were running, I guess it's cool to see someone like that, right? 
Another historic race is uh, the Republican <laughs> Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the former uh, White House press secretary for Trump, and she's been elected as the first female governor of Arkansas. I, it's funny, I, I did notice that a lot of more left-leaning friends I have and left-leaning outlets all posted lists of like the historic parts of this midterm. They all left her out, and I can understand people don't like her, but I thought I would mention it just, be, just to be fair, because... She is the first female governor of Arkansas. I am definitely not a fan of her at all, by any means. She was a liar um, when she, you know, worked for the Trump administration. The press conferences were atrocious to watch. Sorry, we got a loud vehicle out there. Um, almost gone. Um, the, but the amount of times that she lied was appalling. I don't think she's good. Her dad annoys me. He does all these, like, a children's guide to Donald Trump propaganda things on Fox News. But, you know, she did win. So, yeah. Unfortunately, it looks like she's going to be following in her father's footsteps, though. So, not too thrilled about that. Also, there is one race that I think is kind of cool. It's Maryland. It's the governor, the, the gubernatorial race of Maryland, and the Democrat Wes Moore, who will be the state's first black governor. He won, and he defeated the insane election denier Trumpist Dan Cox. So, that is good news for me to be reading. <laughs> You know, you, you got to find the good news wherever you can. So those were a few things I, I kind of noticed right off the bat. Now I want to go through some other states and kind of what we've seen. I've kind of picked the ones that I think are the most important for national coverage. I don't want to focus on specific states too much or go into like local races too much just because I, you know, I have listeners from different parts of the country. So I'm trying to focus on the more national ones. So Georgia, let's start there. Georgia was pretty interesting. <laughs> Once again, our friend Marjorie Taylor Greene won her re-election in the 14th district. Sorry, Not surprising, but sad. She's a rock star. She's the future of the GOP, unfortunately. I don't really have too much to say because it just pisses me off if I get into it. So, Also, the governor, Brian Kemp, incumbent governor, comfortably, and I mean comfortably, defeated Stacey Abrams, which we all expected to happen. I said on Monday, I think Stacey Abrams has done a lot for voting rights in Alabama, but um, maybe it's time for them to reassess someone else to run on the Democratic side. She's lost twice now, but knowing how the Democrats work, they'll probably bring her out again. <laughs> um, of course, the interesting race is, of course, the Senate one. Raphael Warnock, Herschel Walker. Warnock, I don't think, is a great candidate. I don't get good vibes from him. Back on Drew and I's podcast um, in 2020, he, um, he said some things over the years. There were some reports of abuse that I did not like. I think he's smarter than Herschel Walker, but I don't like either candidate. Of course, Herschel Walker is a football player, and um, I think he's had too many brain injuries. He sh there's no reason he should be there. Things are pretty much tied, which, which tells us all we need to know about this country. Warnock currently is winning by, at least at the time of recording, about 18,000 votes. He has 49.2% of the vote. Herschel Walker has 48.7% of the vote. And as I discussed earlier in the week, one of them needs to get over 50% of the vote, which seems very unlikely now because it's pretty much wrapped up. So if neither can reach that 50% threshold, we will see a runoff on December 6th. So we're going to get to hear more about these two, which is what everyone I'm sure wants more than anything, right? So... That's going to be fun, and ironically, this basically puts us right back to where we were in 2020, 
right? We had this same runoff scenario in 2020, same one now. This is why nothing gets done. And I know I brought this up on Monday, but I'll say it again. This is why nothing gets done because we have all these damn elections. And of course, this this seat now is even more important because things are not looking good in Nevada for the Democrats. So the voters in Georgia could have the Senate minority, sorry, majority in their hands again. I think it's interesting, though, how close this race is because Kemp beat Abrams quite easily. You know, Kemp really has a hold. He's kind of a fairly standard governor. People don't really want to move on from him. But obviously, Herschel Walker is enough of a kind of toxic character that there's questions that people have and issues people have with Herschel Walker. Moving on to Pennsylvania, this is the one I'm surprised. This is the one that really surprised me and I'm wrong about, and I'm glad I'm wrong about it. But first, um, I wrote this down first, so we'll start with the governor, governor race. Josh Shapiro... Attorney General defeated QAnon nut Doug Mastriano, who posed in a Confederate uniform, which people, one would do, right? <laughs> Very normal. And um, yeah, so he defeated QAnon nut Doug Mastriano. It was closer than we would hope. But yeah, I think a lot of people might have issues with a guy who said he wants to control voter, voter turnout. So, but the... The race that I'm happy about is John Fetterman did defeat Mehmet Oz. At the time of this recording, 94% of the vote has been counted, and Fetterman is winning with a whopping 50.3%. <laughs> and he's up by 159,000 votes. So not huge, right? Definitely not huge, but it's enough, and it's great. There's a great political article on Fetterman today. It's called Stomach Churning, How Fetterman Survived a Stroke and More to Beat Oz. I recommend people read it. But it basically goes over how Fetterman and his campaign struggled with funding shortages. They were stagnant for a while. There was then the health scare, obviously, where he had a stroke that seemed pretty serious. He kind of had to rely on trolling Dr. Oz, social media campaigns, and more. But, you know, I think the crux of it is, <laughs> is something fairly simple. Dr. Oz is a carpetbagger and a snake oil salesman who didn't even live in Pennsylvania, couldn't even name when the football team in the place he was campaigning was playing, and he just seemed like an out-of-touch joke. Look, Trump is also an out-of-touch joke, but he appealed to people. I don't know if anyone ever appealed to Dr. Oz. And even though Fetterman had a stroke, he was authentic and brave. And I will admit, I was wrong. I thought that people are superficial enough that they would come out and still vote for Oz just because of partisanship. And of course, this was close, so a lot of people did. But apparently the stroke wasn't, wasn't too much for voters. And it's, it's quite nice to, th to see. And with how close the Warnock race is, the, Wa the Walker-Warnock race is, and the potential that Cortez Masto could lose to Laxalt in Nevada... This pickup for Democrats is super important right now. Now, Arizona, <laughs> moving on to Arizona. Arizona is probably the state that still has me the most interested right now. I mean, it's kind of just been constantly interesting since the 2020 election and just kind of all the chaos. The, some of the most extreme candidates are coming out of there. We have Fincham for the Secretary of State, who is losing right now to Fontes, I believe the name is. But it's much closer than one would want. Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, a lot of just kind of awful Republican MAGA candidates there. Interestingly, 
Hobbs is still up on Kerry Lake right now. Katie Hobbs, that is. And I'm kind of surprised. Like, damn, it's not by much. It's definitely not by much. But last night I had a small sense of hope, you know, when Hobbs was up like 10 points. I, I remember I was eating dinner and I checked my phone and Lake was up, yeah, close to 10 points. But now over 60% of the ballots have been counted as of the time of this recording. And it's 50.3% to 49.7%. If you're Katie Hobbs, that is not um, probably making you feel too comfortable right now. That's really fucking close. Excuse my language. Now, now, do you guys remember in 2020, maybe you don't, so I'll repeat it again, but I said that basically, unless Biden won in a landslide against Trump, there would be chaos. And that turned out to be very true, right? The election was so close that it kind of makes it almost riddled and perfect for some sort of controversies, conspiracies, etc. I think in Arizona, the Hobbs Lake race is about the same. If it's close, there's going to be chaos, speculation, conspiracies, especially when you have someone like Carrie Lake, who's already shown us exactly what she wants to do. Even as the election has not been decided yet, I think it was last night I saw that she's already questioned the results, speculated about fraud, talked about how she doesn't know if she could trust the outcome. Now, let's also remember, about a month ago, she was asked if she would, she would accept a defeat if Hobbs won, and she said if the... If the election is fair and every vote is counted, I will accept it. But to me, that's her basically saying, if I deem it acceptable, then I will concede. And that's a problem because, again, it's her deciding, and, and we have to remember that she's a kook. She's nuts. The, the things she believes are not true. So she's basically saying, if I believe that I lost, then I would concede. And based on what we know about her, I don't see her conceding. So she's already speculated about fraud yesterday at a speech. It also doesn't help, and I'm just being devil's advocate. I don't think it matters, but it doesn't help if you're conspiratorial that Katie Hobbs is the current Secretary of State for Arizona. I think it's since 2019. Maybe she should have recused herself. Obviously, she's not involved in this specifically, but of course the conspiratorial people are going to say, see, Katie Hobbs is involved in counting ballots. She stole this from Carrie Lake. I can already just see it. I can already see it. First, it's going to be her saying it. It's going to be a few whack jobs like Lindell, and then it'll slowly take over the GOP. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just what I feel. And Lake is mud muddling, mudding the waters already. Last night, she basically said that it felt like Groundhog Day to 2020. She said here in quotes, we had November 3rd, 2020. That was called in incompetency 101. She went on to suggest that there was incompetency at play in both the August primary and in today's election. By the way, she won the August primary, but I guess it was still incompetent. So she's already just throwing everything at the wall. And of course, there's a lot of people that are already prepared for chaos. So it might get interesting because of how she, just delusional she is. Elaine Godfrey has a good article in The Atlantic that kind of goes over some of this chaos. She discusses how on the eve of another election, GOP leaders in the state have been fanning the flames of conspiracy theories, and many voters are now anticipating trickery. It's just malpractice, in my opinion. I talked about this a few weeks ago. These GOP leaders have been lying to their voters about election fraud, and now, now the people are expecting it, and I just think that could really cause some serious issues down the road. People are armed, looking for the so-called mules, ballot watching for weeks, and so on, right? And Godfrey in this article discusses that report that I discussed yesterday, right, about the issues with some tabulation with voting machines in Maricopa County. 
I've seen, you know, Fox News speculating that this is a problem. People are waiting in line. Charlie Kirk came out and said it's a plan to make sure people don't vote. Hold your ground. It's not like Democrats are running the election in Maricopa County. I've seen non-biased, non-partisan political officials come out and say everything's been fixed. But again, if Kerry Lake loses this by small margins, shit could hit the fan. Other than the gubernatorial race, which is, <laughs> which is just going to be interesting to watch, it does look like in the Senate race, Kelly is still up on Masters. Masters is a problematic guy. I kind of call him a libertarian anarchist, uh, reactionary. Should not be in the Senate either, in my opinion. Um, it, is, it is much closer than expected. Only 69% at the time of the recording of the ballots have been counted. But I do think Kelly ends up ahead. He is at the time. And Kelly's been good at distancing, distancing himself from Biden, from the mainstream Democratic establishment. He's fairly popular. I think he'll be fine because, it, well, if he's not fine, uh, that Fetterman victory would probably be pointless, right? So we have to hope he wins. So And, of, and of course, like I touched on it, there's the Fontes versus Fincham race for the Secretary of State in Arizona. Fontes is up. It's closer than I was <laughs> definitely hoping. Fincham is nuts. I mean, he's like literally retweeted neo-Nazi stuff and is a member of the Oath Keepers. So I don't think we want him involved in ballot counting in Arizona. So fingers crossed on that one. Ohio, Ohio did not go well for Tim Ryan. I was hoping, I was really hoping, you know, and actually I, I was starting to think I was right. That was my kind of dark horse prediction is somehow Tim Ryan comes out ahead. And as I was sitting in the restaurant last night, I checked and, you know, for a little bit, of course, I fell for the blue mirage of mail-in voting and Tim Ryan was up for a little bit, but J.D. Vance has caught up to him. Not shocking. I fell for it. Um, too bad. Too bad. Uh, I think this, I think the DNC needs to do an autopsy of why they would not give Tim Ryan more help. Maybe he never had a chance, but I think his rhetoric did. I really think it did. And the, reason, the reasons why he got no help there are beyond me, but I, I would be irritated if I were him. DeWine won easily with like 62% of the vote for the gubernatorial race in Ohio. I like DeWine. He's kind of always separated himself from Trump. I think he's a decent Republican leader. He did well with the COVID pandemic, so that's okay to see. Wisconsin... Ron Johnson, Ron Anon, the guy who said it was a tourist visit on January 6th. He won. I won't stay on this much, but Tony Evers did win the gubernatorial race. The Milwaukee Sentinel says Evers was leading Michaels by three percentage points early Wednesday, and Michaels actually conceded his race, acknowledging he did not have a path to win. So good for Michaels. Look, I think Michaels is crazy. He's the one that said Democrats will never win again if he's governor. Maybe he was just being hyperbolic. I tend to think he was, but uh, that's nice he stepped down, or conceded, sorry. So, yeah, moving on. New York is one I just want to focus on for a second because <laughs> the results from here were not at all what many expected, and this was a place that was good for Republicans. I know the general mood is that this was not a good midterms for Republicans, which it really wasn't if you want to step back, but... New York was quite different, and I think it's something to really look into as well, if I was a Democrat or a Republican, to see why these people won and why Lauren Boebert lost. I have a theory, but anyways. For the gubernatorial race, Kathy Hochul, the incumbent, is likely to win against Lee Zeldin. Lee Zeldin, bad candidate, again, lost. 
he was part of Trump Stop the Steal. He wouldn't certify, I think it was Arizona and Michigan. Big Trump ally. Of course, even if he wasn't a Trump ally, I, I don't really see him winning in a place like New York as governor. But yeah, it was closer. It was closer than some of us thought. Kathy Hochul right now is up by about 5% with 92% counted. And, you know, while it's closer than expected, she's going to win, I'm sure. But now the interesting results in New York are the ones in house races, kind of in the suburbs outside New York City. And that's kind of been a trend in recent elections across the U.S., though, is that the suburbs are kind of where we see swing voters, where we see people maybe taking a little bit different of a stance than just your typical, like, blue dog Democrat in, in a major city, right? And... Basically, as of now, GOP House candidates have picked up seven seats. It could be eight by tomorrow. And these are all in kind of areas surrounding New York City. Fox News has a good article that discusses in quotes here how Republican candidates for the U.S. House of Representatives notched several wins in New York City's suburbs, seizing a seat in an area once considered safely Democratic. And one of the main battlegrounds in this election was the Long Island suburbs, and, you know, I guess you could kind of see why New York's, New York's seen a lot of issues from the pandemic to crime to the economy. Suburbs are always all over the place. It kind of makes sense. But I think the most significant change up in this cycle was that Sean Patrick Maloney, an incumbent Democrat, lost to Michael Lawler. This is a huge one because he is, or I guess was soon, the chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. It's kind of ironic that the guy who chairs the campaign committee lost his campaign right <laughs> interesting stuff he was a guy that i think no one expected to lose he did i look i didn't i didn't really vote for any republicans this cycle because i just see them as a party that needs to get rid of the disease before they keep going and the disease is kind of the maga movement but i could understand kind of why you want to get rid of an establishment guy like sean patrick maloney i don't know it's not surprising to me in a sense, but then it also is surprising. And I'm sure if I'm the Democratic Party, I would not be too thrilled right now. So New York, interesting. It's probably good that Hochul still won just because Lee Zeldin is not someone that I think would be a great candidate. Now, now a few more takeaways before I go on to Ukraine, because I, I do want to touch on Ukraine. It's been midterms, 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 and there are other things in the world, believe me or not. So Something else positive, though, to take away from these results, and I've kind of touched on this earlier, but I want to go a little bit more specific, is that Donald Trump's endorsement record is still kind of sketch. It's still kind of, maybe sketch isn't the right word, but it's still kind of all over the place. Like, <laughs> Trump gave an interview, I forget where it was, I think it was this morning, and he was asked, like, what do you, what do you make of it if your endorsement, no, sorry, it was yesterday, it was like, what, what do you make of it if your endorsement record is great? He's like, then give me credit. And they're like, what if all your, all, all your endorsed people lose? He's like, oh, it's not my fault. It's like Trump wants it both ways. He wants the cake and he wants to eat it. You know, fun, fun, fun. But it seems like Trump's endorsement record is kind of a mixed bag at this point. And I think that's a positive we've seen here. I kind of touched on it where the people that were more establishment, not so Trumpy, seem to do better than the Trumpy type this time. Of course, that's not the same everywhere. Marjorie Taylor Greene is still a rock star. Of course she is. Kerry Lake is still popular, though she could lose, which would be good. But as before, it seems like he's not a god king. And I think that was a good takeaway from today that's positive. People like Doug Mastriano and Lee Zeldin have lost. 
And David Frum has a really good article from this morning, and it discusses how Ron DeSantis had a very good night. And just before I go into the article any further, I will just note that DeSantis won with about 59.4% of the vote, almost 60% of the vote. And Charlie Crist came in, that that's the Democrat running against him, with only 40%. And 99% has been counted, so it's not like there's a lot coming in. DeSantis won with over 1.5 million more votes than Crist. So, you know, everyone's talking about how Trump would wipe the bag with DeSantis, and I still think if they were head-on, maybe they would. But DeSantis is kind of a rock star in Florida. And it's interesting because I think it was, what, 2018 when he ran? He only won by, like, 0.9 of a a percentage point. This time he won by almost 20. So that's huge. But anyways, Frum writes that while DeSantis had a good night, in quotes, Other Republicans had a bad night yesterday. Their disappointment was very much Trump's fault. Trump stuck them with bad candidates and bad issues. His own grievances about the election of 2020, that record should weaken Trump's standing. But the weakening only matters if someone uses it. And I think Frum is right, and he touches on something important here, right? Trump is really not the winner he claims to be. (laughs) I've been saying that for years, but still people don't believe that. And he's hurting Republicans, and I've been saying that too. The problem is that, look, the establishment knows that Trump is a problem. They know it. But the base still adores Trump, or at least a strong amount of the base still likes Trump. And it's a, it's a demand issue. It's not a supply issue. But think about it. Trump lost the popular vote in 2016. He lost the House in 2018. He lost the popular vote and the Electoral College in 2020. He lost them the Senate in 2021. This time around, there have been some exceptions, right? I think Laxalt in Nevada is still likely to win, sadly, against Cortez Masto. And Carrie Lake in Arizona is a kind of a rock star on her own, even if she loses this. But again, the majority of his nut jobs he's pushed are not good, and he's pushed the party towards new extremes. And I've kind of already said this, but part of me thinks Mastriano lost so much in Pennsylvania because he vowed to control elections in the state. It's part of Trump's big lie, but it's probably also something that turned off voters. You know, while I do not like all the results of this, it just seems like some of the Trumpy people did not do well because voters want to move on. People want to move on in a sense. And it's like Trump keeps telling his base that the elections don't matter and then he expects them to go vote for the people he endorses. Like, that was part of the problem in the Georgia runoff, right? When, when Warnock beat Lawler. Loeffler, sorry. And it's because Trump basically is trying to, like, take this nihilistic, mean approach to politics and then also expect his base to turn out for him. Maybe people like democracy. I'm not saying everyone does because people like Mike Lee have said maybe democracy is really not part of the U.S. Anyways, but it just seems like people do see through some of Trump's bullshit. And maybe the Republican Party, if they were smart, would try to move on from that. I know Trump's probably going to announce next week. I know he probably was because he was expecting this to be a huge red wave. It'll be interesting to see what he says now. If I was DeSantis, I would probably be licking my chops after this. That's one thing I know for certain. Now, before we're out of here, I want to just swift switch gears for a second. Um, I didn't talk about Nevada much because Lombardo is up right now, it looks like, against Sisolak, and it looks like looks like Laxalt is up against Cortez Masto. 
I guess that's kind of my resident state right now. It's too bad to see, but we still don't know enough yet, so I'm not going to comment. But before we're out of here, let's talk about Ukraine. Over the last few weeks, we have seen U.S. officials finally try and call for some form of diplomatic talks. We also saw that controversial letter signed by several House Democrats about the need for democracy, right? This was about when the same time Kevin McCarthy said we would probably cut funds to Ukraine and then Democrats kind of shot themselves in the foot when this letter was aired. We also saw them get condemned for that letter, and I can understand why, because it's just helping the Russian talking heads and the pro or the anti-anti-Putin Americans, we could say. And I've also seen attacks on critical infrastructure in Kiev, bombing campaigns, water shortages throughout the country, a stall of grain exportation on the Black Sea, and just more division, breakdown, anger between Russian military leaders, the Russian military personnel, Putin himself. They brought in the Wagner Group's leader actually into the Kremlin, so you can see that the extremists are getting closer and closer to power. Nothing really too great on that front. Today, as an update, Vladimir Zelensky said that fighting remains intense along most of the entire front in the south and east of the country, as the war just looks like to be in a stalemate, which we've talked about for a while, right? And from my understanding, the positional battles are in chaos. There's significant losses on both sides, and there's just not a great end in sight, though Ukraine still is doing better and Russia is just breaking down further and further, right? That being said, Ukraine has launched successful counteroffenses in Kharkiv and the Kherson region. Forbes has reported today, actually, in fact, in quotes here, that Russia on Wednesday announced its withdrawal of Russian troops since the invasion began in February. Sorry, sorry, I, I skipped a line. I, I skipped a line of the article. Um, it was Russia on Wednesday announced its withdrawal of forces from the southern Ukrainian city of Kherson, the lone regional capital held by Russian troops since the invasion began in February, in a blow to President Vladimir Putin's efforts to annex the region. And that's a big, big, big blow. Because Sergei Shogu, who is Russia's defense minister, is the one that made these calls, and one has to wonder how Putin and other officials generally are reacting to this. I mean, Putin needs the propaganda game going up, and if they're announcing withdrawals, either it's a lie or they're really struggling. Now, while they've announced the withdrawal, I have read that some experts do express doubts about their intentions. Obviously, they're going to fight as they leave, so it still could be bloody. They're not leaving without a fight type of mentality, but I don't know. It's very... It's very disinteresting to see all the failures continue from Russia. To go even further about what is happening in Kherson, apparently, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, so please deal with me, Kirill Stremosovov, the public face of the Russian occupation of Ukraine's Kherson region, died in a car accident. Now, he didn't fall out of a hotel window or out of a sixth-floor building, so that's always good. It was a car crash, which it does seem like the majority of deaths linked with officials since this war has begun have either been windows or cars. It's kind of weird. Or dying on the battlefront, I guess, but kind of strange. But apparently this Stresmazov guy was a blogger and a propagandist who was instrumental in relaying messages and pro-Russian ideals in the area. So fun stuff. He was a key proponent of the Ukrainian Nazi theories, you know, which have unfortunately made their way to the West. He was Ukrainian-born, but obviously that didn't matter. Stresmazov insisted that Russia's victory was inevitable. But obviously that has become more difficult to sell in recent weeks as they've suffered defeats in the area. Um, I cannot help but wonder if he was taken out because he did not want Russia to leave. 
maybe kept lying about the chances of holding the region. He did a lot of videos from his car. I know that was kind of a thing he was known for. And he was really good at kind of stirring up pro-Russian rhetoric. Maybe the Kremlin wants their troops out of there. And maybe getting him out of the way to keep stirring the pot was a good idea. I don't know. According to NPR, Ukrainian intelligence officials and past associates told the network that Stremasov had a thirst for wealth and began using his blog to extort money from local businesses in exchange for not publicizing their wrongdoing. This behavior was not unusual, according to NPR, but part of Kursoan's culture of corruption, which made the region an easy target for Russian infiltration. So, I mean, things are really kind of just going downhill right now. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Again, like, I still hope that there are peace talks while also not really kowtowing to Putin, which is obviously bad. And I know the war is costly to the West, but it's going to be more costly if Russia keeps doing stuff. So we need to keep that balance going, which it seems like we're doing okay with so far. We will, I guess we just kind of have to see. And I hate to just put it like that, but we will just kind of have to see. Um, anyways, lots of election stuff. I'm sure there's going to be stuff happening in the days to come. I hope people don't get violent. I hope people just keep it sane and sensible. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Anyways, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, YouTube, Podbean, what else? Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Well, I'm, I'm missing stuff, but anyways, you'll find me there. So take care. Have a great day. I'll be back Friday. Adios.